before we're seated, I want you to take the hand of the person next to you because tonight we're going to be looking at the gifts of the Spirit. And my Bible tells me everybody in here has one. Amen? And just having pastored quite a while now, well, 36 years now, I can tell you that for the most part, most people don't function in it. It's not a criticism, it's just a fact. And I think part of that is ignorance. We're not taught about the gifts, so we don't know we have one, and we don't know that we need to release it. And so I want us to pray for the person on either side of us, that not only will they realize what gift they have, but that they'll release it. It'll be released through them. Amen? So let's pray together. Father, there's people on either side of us. Every person whose hand we're holding has a gift, a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit deposited in them the moment they were saved. And Lord, how we need to release that gift. And so Lord, right now in Jesus' name, we pray for the person on either side of us that Lord, you will touch them. That Whatever their gift is, they'll, they'll find it. They will discover it. And Lord, that gift will be released because when it's released, the body of Christ is strengthened and blessed and matured and grows. So Lord, in Jesus' name, let us pray this with me for the person on either side of you. Lord, bless my friend. Bless this person by my side. Release the gift you have placed in them for the edification, exhortation, and comfort of the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. Amen, amen. You can be seated. I'm from New York. I love the cold. All right. You say, well, you don't sound very New York. Well, we moved here when I was five. But you know, those first five years are formative. I've always had a little bit of Northeast in me, no matter what I do. I want to welcome our streaming audience. Uh, so good to come into your home, maybe on your iPhone. Hope you're not driving down the highway watching me. Don't do that. I don't want to be the last thing you see before you wreck. But there in your living room and wherever you happen to be, we welcome you. We thank God for you tuning in and joining us to learn about the gifts of the Spirit. Can we give them a hand and welcome everybody? Amen. Amen. Now, I'm calling this tonight the big nine gifts, because these are the nine that most of you have heard about, read about, uh, perhaps were taught about. Uh, they're found in 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to read about them. And I, I'm going to cover the first three, because they are breaking in, uh, down into three categories. But let's just begin by opening up to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. And then I'm going to go from verse 1 to verse 4 through 6. Now, Paul says, notice what he says. This is interesting. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. There is no premium on ignorance. Amen? So we know right there, if the apostle Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts, we should, the, we should not be ignorant about the spiritual gifts. We, we should really understand them. Amen? Can I have an amen here tonight? He said, I don't want you, the church, to be ignorant. So then in verse 4, he tells us more about the gifts. There are diversities or different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, which means outlets, but the same Lord. 
And there are difference, uh, differences of activities, and that means manifestations or better yet, results. There are different kinds of results that come about when the Holy Spirit manifests himself in the gifts through you and me. Somebody might get healed, somebody might get edified, somebody might get delivered, somebody might get healed, whatever, whatever it is, there's different results. But it's the same God who does all of it, who works all in all. Amen? Now, last time we saw that all the gifts of the Spirit, and Paul just harps on this, come from the Holy Spirit, who distributes them to each person individually as he wills. Now, that's a real thought, because there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I think we tend to look at the Holy Spirit not as um, personally as we do the Father and the Son. We kind of picture the Holy Spirit as this force or some kind of a spiritual fog that comes upon uh, the church, um, you know, something um, ethereal. But the Holy Ghost is a person. He is a he. The personal pronoun he is used to refer to him, not it ever, but he. And he gave you the gift you have. It said, he distributed to each one individually as who willed? He, personal pronoun, he, as he willed. He gave it to you as he willed. So the gifts we're about to read about, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit gave you one. Now, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at other gifts, because we saw last time, you, you can easily count 21, 21 gifts of the Spirit. We're looking at nine of them tonight. By the time we're done with this series in a couple of weeks, um, we're going to have covered the gift that's in you, whatever that happens to be, all right? So, and we also learned that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. Why? Why? For the profit of all. It's not to bring attention to you or me where people will go, ooh, aren't they spiritual? Boy, look at them move in the gift of the Holy Spirit. No, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are never given to exalt you and me. They are given for our profit and they are given for the edification, exhortation, and comfort of the body of Christ. All right? So it's, it's never to bring glory to ourselves. Now, in the next few verses... Paul's going to list nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, and these nine gifts can be divided into three categories. And I, want you, I hope you're taking notes. Or, or, and did you know you can get the notes of these messages online? Did you know that? You can get all the notes online. All you got to do is go to tpcfamily.org and look up sermons. Click on sermons. And, and they're there. Everybody say, I didn't know that. I mean, I type it all out not because I like typing, all right? I type it all out to make it available. They, they go to prisons. They go to a lot of different places. But, but if you ever want these notes, I'm not trying to get you to not take notes here, but if you ever fail to take notes here, you can look them up and get them. Read it again yourself, okay? We give away so many free things. Maybe if I started charging, we get more hits. I don't know. We'll see. Now, Here's the three categories the gifts are divided into. First one is revelation gifts. Revelation gifts are wisdom, knowledge, and discernment. All right? 
The second category is power gifts. Faith, healings, miracles. The third category is utterance gifts. Prophecy, tongues, interpretation. So in these nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, three categories they are in. Revelation gifts, power gifts, utterance gifts. So tonight we're going to look at the revelation gifts. Are you ready to get some revelation? All right, revelation gifts. Now, I'm going to read about two of them because I want to deal with the two kind of together because they are very connected. He says in verse 8, for to one is given the word of wisdom. How does he get it? Through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. So here, Paul is making a distinction between sort of a brother and a sister. They're they're really together. Uh, A word of wisdom and a word of knowledge. I'm going to show you the difference between wisdom and knowledge in a minute. So he begins first with the gift of wisdom. That's the very first spiritual gift he deals with um, with the Corinthian church. The very first thing he talks about is the gift of wisdom. Now notice, he calls it a gift. We're not talking about IQ here. We're not talking about native intelligence here. We're talking about something the Spirit of God gives to some people. All right? So he begins with the gift of wisdom, which is in keeping with the rest of Scripture, which gives the preeminence to wisdom. For instance, here's a great verse. Proverbs 4, 7 says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, do what with it? Get it. Get it. And in all you're getting, get understanding with it. Now, I want to give you another version here. Getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do. That's the New Living Translation. The next one, wisdom is supreme. So get wisdom. That's just a a tiny example of all the times in the Bible we are told, hey, wisdom is a big deal. You need to go for it. Go, Go after it. Chase it. Pursue it. Uh, Read your Bible. If you want to be really wise, read your Bible. Get God's wisdom. Amen? Find God's wisdom. And all you're getting, get understanding. So the Bible gives a preeminence to wisdom. Now, it's also important to point out here that the translators in several Bible versions, including the one we just read, which was the New King James Version, is the first version I read. They call it the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. But in the original Greek, the definite article, the, is not there. It's not there. So it's better translated, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, which makes more sense to me. All right? So to one, he gives a word of wisdom. And to another, he gives a word of knowledge. When you need wisdom, when you give knowledge, he gives a word of wisdom. He gives a word of knowledge. So first, let's talk about a word of wisdom. What is wisdom? Again, it's not IQ. I know a lot of people with high IQs live doing dumb things, right? Matter of fact, a high IQ gives you more ability to do dumber things. It's really true. Now, what is wisdom? Let me give you a few definitions. 
One definition of wisdom is seeing life from God's viewpoint. Doesn't it help to see things from God's viewpoint? Amen? And how are you ever going to do that? You're, you're only going to see life through God's viewpoint when you really spend a lot of time in the Bible. Because the Bible is going to give you life from God's viewpoint. And that's what we want. Now, that's, that's a good definition of wisdom. Another really good one is this. Using knowledge rightly. Using knowledge rightly. It is the fitting use of knowledge. That's wisdom. You can have a lot of knowledge and no wisdom. But wisdom is when you know how to use the knowledge you have rightly. Now, here's my definition of wisdom. I put this together today. Um, I'll stand with it. Here's what I think it is. A word of wisdom is God's counsel dispensed to us, which enables us to make godly, wise decisions. A word of wisdom is God's counsel. He counsels you. How many of you have even lately really needed some wisdom from God? Come on, you need some wisdom from God, a word of wisdom from God. Lord, I'm in a real situation. I don't know how to handle this. I've got 10 different options. What am I gonna do? Lord, I need you to give me counsel, amen? So again, a word of wisdom is God's counsel dispensed to us, which enables us to make a godly, wise decision. Now, wisdom ultimately comes from Jesus Christ. He is our wisdom. Can you say with me, Jesus is my wisdom. The Bible says it's because of him, that is God, that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. Jesus was and is the personification of wisdom. There's nobody wiser. I mean, we talk about Solomon, but Jesus himself said a greater than Solomon is here talking about himself, right? So nobody had the wisdom Jesus had or has, and always will have. Listen, we don't need to go to worldly philosophers for wisdom. We sure don't need to turn to the world for wisdom. We need the wisdom of God. And where is it? It is encapsulated in Jesus Christ. He is my wisdom, your wisdom, our wisdom. If I need wisdom, he's got it. In spades, all caps, Jesus is my wisdom. Amen? So therefore, I want to read all the red I can read. You know what I mean by that? In your Bibles, some of your Bibles, the words of Jesus are in red. Read all the red you can read because that's the wisdom of God talking. That's the wisdom of God talking. The idea here is this. Why do you need a word of wisdom? A need arises. A need arises. Some problem presents itself, which happens about once a month at least, right? A problem. Y'all are... I'm having a hard time getting you stirred up to smile tonight. I know it's been a long day, and it's cold outside. But um, listen, how often do you have problems? I have problems every day. Am I weird? How many of you have dealt with some problems today? All right? Isn't life all about problem solving? I, I mean, every day we are handed a set of problems to solve in one way or another. All right? So that is when we need all the time, a word of wisdom. We need to know what to do in a given situation. We don't want to miss God, and we don't want to make a bad decision and suffer the consequences. So we need a word of wisdom. We need God to speak his counsel 
into our situation, which we see Jesus doing all the time in the New Testament. Now, James wrote, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. God's never going to say, would you quit bugging me and come to me with all your problems? God is never going to say that. He never finds fault. If you go to God a hundred times in a day needing wisdom, he never finds fault with that. And it will be, everybody say will be, given to you. Now, I didn't write this down, but by memory, he goes on to say, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like the wave of the sea, driven of the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. For the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So when you ask for wisdom, you got to believe it's coming. You got to believe he's going to give it to you. We walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. So to answer our request, God gives a word of wisdom, a word of wisdom. A word of wisdom may come directly to your mind after prayer by way of a personal revelation of exactly what course of action you ought to take. Um, He may send somebody into your life with the gift. Remember, it's a gift. With the gift of wisdom. These people that can walk into a situation and they move in wisdom sort of above the pay grade of most of us. They move in wisdom, and they're able to look at a situation and just say, here's what I believe the wisdom of God is for you and for your situation. And they give a word of wisdom because God gave them the gift of wisdom. What did Solomon pray for when God made him king? Wisdom. He said, Lord, I need wisdom to lead these people. I need wisdom to make the right decisions. I need wisdom to bring glory to you. I don't want to make just endless mistakes. Lord, above all things, I'm not asking you for long life. I'm not asking you for riches. I'm not asking you for anything but wisdom. And God said, because you didn't ask me for long life, and you didn't ask me for riches, I'm going to give you those as a side benefit to you asking for wisdom because God places a premium on wisdom. Amen? Amen. So a word of wisdom can come directly to our hearts. I mean, there have been times I've been praying about something, and it's kind of weird. I'll really pray. God, I need wisdom. And I'll sit there before the Lord and wait, and nothing comes to me. And then I'll be doing something later in the day or in the week, totally nondescript and non-spiritual. And suddenly, kaplunk, God will drop something in my heart, a word of wisdom. Here's what you should do. Maybe because in prayer I'm trying too hard to hear so that I can't hear. And when I'm not trying so hard, he's able to drop it into my heart. But God promises if you ask for wisdom, I'm going to get it to you. I'm either going to give you wisdom in your own spirit or I'm going to send somebody with a gift of wisdom, a word of wisdom. And I'm going to give you a word of wisdom. And boy, when God gives his wisdom, listen, it clears the water. You know exactly what you're supposed to do. You know exactly which course to take, and you do it, and it settles it. We see Christ doing this all the time in his earthly ministry. People come up to him not knowing what to do or with these really difficult brain twister questions, and Jesus would just speak into it, and it was settled right there. Where they they said to themselves, it says, no one dared ask him anything anymore because he always nailed them with his wisdom. 
That same Jesus is still talking today and giving wisdom today. Say with me, he's my wisdom. Amen. And he lives inside of you. All right, that's the word of wisdom. And then there is a word of knowledge right next to it. The gift of the word of knowledge, in my understanding, can be understood in one of two ways. And I'm going to give you both. And I think both are valid. The first one is that as a person learns, particularly biblical truth, he or she accumulates biblical knowledge, word of knowledge, knowledge, all right? Matter of fact, the word knowledge here is gnosis in the Greek language, and that means knowledge from learning, knowledge from experience. So here's this person, you, me, anybody who spends a lot of time in the word of God, you accumulate knowledge, biblical truth, all right? Once you become well-learned in the things of God, you are able to bring a word of knowledge to others who need an answer. In other words, you are gifted by the Holy Spirit to instruct or impart knowledge. Now, remember I quoted a couple of Sundays ago that verse from Hebrews where the writer says, you ought to be teachers by now. So some of you, in his target audience, he's saying to them, some of you, you've been in the word a long time. You've been a Christian a long time. You ought to be teaching by now. You've got enough knowledge to bring a word of knowledge to people that need some truth, and yet you need to be taught all over again the basics of Christianity. He said, this ought not to be. You're missing, you're missing the boat. You need to be in there teaching. Now, see, right now, essentially, I'm operating in a word of knowledge. I'm, I'm imparting knowledge. Am I not? I mean, if you ever leave a service here and you didn't learn anything, I failed. I'm imparting knowledge. The only way I have the knowledge I'm imparting is I studied. I spent time in the word of God. So you need answers. I can give you biblical answers to your conf- that answer your confusion. Uh, and it's a word of knowledge that comes to you. Jesus did this all the time, all the time. Track him in the New Testament. For instance, one of my favorites, he was asked a theoretical question one day about the, or by the Sadducees who did not believe in a resurrection. But they asked him this question anyway. They said, okay, Lord, if there's a resurrection, then how about a man who has many wives and they all die? And then finally he dies. And they're all up in heaven. Jesus, whose wife, who is his wife up there? Who's his wife up there? You think God's going to leave you with that kind of nightmare? No, here's the deal. Jesus said, now watch what Jesus said. You are in error. Why? Because you don't know the scriptures. Or the power of God. If you'd known the word of God, you wouldn't have even asked me that question because it's it's not a biblical question. If you had known the word, you wouldn't have even had the question. But what is he doing? He He is imparting a word of knowledge based on biblical truth. Right? So the more you and I learn the Bible, the more that we're able to answer somebody who has questions. And they're everywhere. I mean, people are so confused now. And and, and listen, we're in another dark ages out there. 
as far as Bible knowledge. And I hate to say it, but it's sort of like the twilight ages in a lot of the church. Church, a lot of the church doesn't know the word of God. But for those of us who spend time in the Bible, spend time with God, we have knowledge. And when somebody has a question, we can impart a word of knowledge. Matter of fact, I think a good definition of wisdom, like I've already said, is a fitting application of knowledge. We can, we can wisely answer them and clear their confusion up. And again, folks, that is so needed today. You would be amazed at things that I hear, things that I'm asked, that 30 years ago, you, you thought everybody knew it. And, and really, most everybody did know it. But now, uh-uh, they don't know it. I'm talking about the simplest questions people are very confused about. So we need churches that, are, that can bring a word of knowledge into people's lives in love. Not like obnoxious know-it-alls. Amen. Thank the Lord. But a word of knowledge, a word of knowledge, a word of knowledge. Now, I got to tell you, a person can be knowledgeable in Bible truth and have no wisdom. I've pastored 36 years. And I'm going to tell you, how many of you have ever had to endure a know-it-all for too long? Somebody who knew it all. They just knew it all. They had all the answers. But have you ever noticed that the know-it-all never knows how to tell you what they know with wisdom? You know, they, they never, I, I'm thinking of, you know, like the wife who wants her husband to be saved. She knows it all. She's got all the answers. She's got all the Bible knowledge. And everywhere he goes in his lazy boy, there's a track sitting there waiting for him to sit down. And he's got to pick up and read that Bible track. She's always quoting the Bible to him, nagging him about Bible truth. And she does not have a clue how, or she doesn't have the wisdom to use the knowledge rightly. Okay. You can do that with the world out there. You can, you can come over as obnoxious and, and uh, um, you know, just beat people up with truth. There is a way to deliver truth. There is a timing to deliver truth. And, that, and that's where wisdom comes in. Let me give you a couple of examples. Knowledge is knowing how to use a gun. Wisdom is knowing when to use it. Okay? Knowledge understands the light has turned red. Wisdom says you better stop. Knowledge sees the quicksand. Wisdom avoids it. Knowledge memorizes the Ten Commandments. I know all the commandments. I can tell you all the commandments. I learned them in Sunday school. All right? But wisdom obeys them. There's a lot of people know that word. They don't walk in it. They know it, but they don't walk in it. What good does it do you to know it if you don't live it, right? Right. Knowledge learns about God. Wisdom loves him. See, we need wisdom coupled with knowledge, or you can do more damage with knowledge than if you didn't have any knowledge. So having tons of knowledge is good, but having the wisdom to know how to use it is best. Amen? Amen? Now, That's the first understanding of the word of knowledge. When you impart Bible truth in love, in wisdom to people who need knowledge. But a second understanding of the word of knowledge is when you receive on the spot revelation about a person or thing. When the word of knowledge manifests this way, it becomes 
or it comes as a definite conviction, an impression in your heart, an impression on your soul, or a knowing in your heart and mind without having been told anything out here, you know something in here. All right? It may come in the form of a mental picture, a dream, a vision, or by a Bible verse that is quickened to you. But a word of knowledge, this supernatural on-the-spot word of knowledge, is when God shows you something about a person or a circumstance or a situation you could never have known on your own. That's a word of knowledge. And my experience is when God gives the word of knowledge and it's about a person, it's almost always to bring conviction of sin so they can get right. One time, and this is one of the few times this happened to me this dramatically, but I'll never forget it. One time I stood up to preach. I was in a church in Dallas and I stood up to preach and I opened up my Bible and I read my text. And as soon as I started reading the text, I instantly received an impression. As a matter of fact, with the impression came a lot of information all at once. It wasn't like I heard a voice talking to me. I got an impression, and with the impression came knowledge. And I knew that there was a young man in this congregation who had been called by God and had rebelled and walked away from him and was living in sin, and God told me, tell him to repent or I'm going to take his life. I said, I'm not saying that. (laughs) Uh, No way I'm saying that. And so I started trying to read my text again. And it just came as clear to me, if you keep reading your text, you're sinning against me. I want you to say it. I said, I'm not going to do that. And I prayed in the spirit. I said, Lord Jesus, help me. The devil's messing with me. But it was not the devil. It was in here. And it came with peace. And I knew it was true. Now, I was looking out at the congregation trying to figure out who it might be. But there were a lot of people there I didn't know. So I said, okay, I'm either on target with this or I'm going to look like the biggest fool in the world. And why will I even preach after this if I show them I'm not hearing God? God said, say it. I said, okay. There is a young man in here. God won't let me preach until I say this. There's a young man in here, and you are called of God. And you trained for a season, and then you walked away. Now you're living in sin. God wants you to know you need to repent and come back, or he's going to take you home. Instantly, from the back row, I'm talking way back, this young man I've never seen in my life jumped up, ran to the altar, ran. I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But I'm looking down at him. I'll never forget his name was Casey. Never forget. His name was Casey. Red hair, tall, sharp looking young man. And he came out of the altar. He's lifting his hands. He's blubbering. He's crying. He's repenting before God. And everybody is shocked. Some weeping. I'm teared up. I didn't know him. I never met him in my whole life. This was a major step of faith for me. Um, And so when he finally was done, I said, Casey, what's your story? And he said to all of us, I went to Christ for the nations. And I studied to be a missionary. And I was called to missions. 
And I got caught up in sin and I walked away and I've been living in sin. And I heard about this meeting tonight and just decided to come and sit in the back. Well, see, Jesus knew who was in the back. Yeah. And, and you know what? I know because he followed up with me. He repented, he got right, and he went to the mission field. Now, listen, that's a word of knowledge. It's a word of knowledge. I had information. I had no way of knowing this way. And it came as a distinct impression I could not shake or deny. And I knew it was true. I mean, I knew it was true. And it was true. And it, it saved a young man's life. See, Jesus did this all the time. He did it all the time. So the word of knowledge is a supernatural insight. It is something God is doing in circumstances or problems or in a person's life without the assistance of any human resource. It comes by revelation. Word of knowledge. Here's when Jesus did it. He was told about, this, uh, about Lazarus being sick. And here's what Jesus said. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. What did Jesus have? A word of knowledge. He knew. Lazarus, yeah, he's going to die, but it's for the glory of God. He's not going to stay dead. It's for the glory of God. And he spoke a word of knowledge into that situation. He did it all the time with the woman at the well. She said, give me this living water. Give me the living water you're talking about. Give me the water where I'll never thirst again. Jesus said, are you sure about that? I'm sure. Go get your husband. Well, yeah, well, you know, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right. Now, here comes word of knowledge. You're right. You've had five husbands or four, however many, five. And the one you're shacked up with, uh-oh, shacked up with right now, uh-oh, is not your man, your husband. He's your man, but he's not your husband. She said, I believe you're a prophet. Well, duh. But what was he operating in? Word of knowledge. He knew about her without her having told him any of this. Now, that word of knowledge is a gift of the Spirit that operates through believers. Amen. It's also the ability to know the sins and the very motives in a person's heart. Now, I have met people at times and talked to them and talked to them for a couple of minutes, and suddenly something would rise up in me, and I knew they had an ulterior motive for talking to me. I knew it. I knew that their motive was not pure. I knew it. It was a word of knowledge. One day, Simon Peter encountered Simon the sorcerer. Two Simons met. And Simon the sorcerer had been watching the apostles operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And he was enthralled. And he said, I want these gifts. So he offered money for the gift. You can't buy a gift of God. And Peter rebuked him. But I want you to notice how Peter... Started out rebuking him, but then he slipped right into a word of knowledge about this man. He said, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Folks, can I just interject here? You can't buy the blessings and the gifts of God with money. They're not for sale. 
Can you imagine walking up to Jesus saying, I'll, I'll give you a $100 bill if you'll give me the gift, of, the, the word of knowledge? What would Jesus do with that? He would say, no, that's not how you get it. My spirit will divvy it out to whom he wishes when he wishes. It's a gift. But Peter went on in verse 21. He said, you have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right with God. How do you know that? Look what he went on to say. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see, now there's the word of knowledge. I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. How do you know he was bitter? He didn't say anything that indicated bitterness. How did Peter know? It was the word of knowledge. He suddenly had a word of knowledge about this man. And this man knew that it was right. And Simon the sorcerer repented quick. So again, the word of knowledge is often used to to read somebody's mail and it brings them to repentance. Like Casey that night or this sorcerer. So everybody say with me, word of wisdom. Word of knowledge. Let me ask, how many of you have ever operated in the word of knowledge? You've ever had the gift of the word of knowledge move through you? Amen. How many of you, word of wisdom? Right? How many of you, no words at all ever? No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But, but notice, you say, well, Pastor Jeff, that's just for the really spiritual people. That's not what my Bible says. My Bible says he gave every Christian a gift. And we're to use it for the benefit of each other. Now let's talk about the third one. So there's the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the third revelation gift is discerning of spirits. He says in verse 10, to another discerning of spirits. So here's the spirit of God giving to each person something different. Discerning of spirits is the supernatural ability given by the Holy Spirit to perceive the source. That's important. The source of a spiritual manifestation and determine whether it is of God, of the devil, of man, or of the world. It is where you're listening to a message or you're watching something that is claiming to be a manifestation of the spirit and Discerning of spirits is when you know the real source. In other words, if it's fake, phony, counterfeit, discerning of spirits lets you know that's counterfeit. That's false. That is not God. Because let's face it, folks, there's a lot of spirits out there from a lot of different sources, right? I think it's interesting that he he uses the plural when he says discerning of spirits. It's plural. So it can be a man's or a woman's spirit talking to you. It can be the spirit of the world, which I sense all day, every day. And so do you out there in the workaday world. It can be a demonic spirit, which are everywhere. The devil is wreaking havoc on our nation right now. All right? Now God's in charge, but we're under a whole lot of attack. And then there's the spirit of God. How do you know what the difference is. How can you discern between the difference? Discerning of spirits. It's a gift. Now, let me tell you what it's not. It's not mind reading. It's not psychic phenomena. Don't ever pull over to the psychic 
that little hut where it says psychic fortune teller and all of that and go in there. Don't ever do it. Say, well, I just, I'm I'm not hearing God. Well, don't go in there. You're not going to hear God in there. You may hear a demon, but you're not going to hear God. If you got a Ouija board in your house, burn it, get rid of it quickly. I, I personally believe because I see in the book of Acts where, um, when revival came to Samaria, they gathered all of their occultic materials and they burned them. Why? Because they carry a presence with them and they're a stumbling block. Um, you think it's just some funny thing when that Ouija board moves, but listen, spirits can, can manifest. Can I, can I say it tonight? The Bible says that in the last days, men will depart from the faith giving heed to teachings of demons. So, so demons are personalities. They are bodiless personalities. They are fallen angels. They have an intellect. They know, they knew Jesus. We know who you are, the, 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 the uh, son of God. Have you come to torment us before the time? They talked right to Jesus. They knew who he was when everybody else was clueless. They knew who he was. So they can think, they can strategize. They are in a hierarchy, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. And I kind of did it backwards. The spiritual wickedness in high places, that's heavenly places. That's talking about the second heaven. The Bible says there's three heavens. The third heaven is where the will of God is perfectly done. It is where heaven is, third heaven. Second heaven is where warfare takes place. It's where the battle is waging and raging right now. We know this from Daniel. When Daniel was praying for a revelation, God sent an archangel. The archangel hit the second heaven and was resisted. And God had to send Michael to break that angel through to get to the first heaven, which is the earthly atmosphere where we live. So in the second heaven, there are spiritual wickedness. There is spiritual wickedness in high places, heavenly places. And, and they think, like I said, they strategize. I don't mean to be weird or creepy, especially this time of month and year. But, but listen, they know your name. Say, Jeff, come on. Oh, no. A demon spoke out and said, Paul, I know. And Jesus, I know. But I don't know you seven sons of Sceva. Who are you? And the man that had the demons attacked These seven sons of Sceva stripped them naked and sent them out in the street screaming and terrified, which goes to show you never face the devil apart from Christ. But here's the deal. We need to discern spirits because you can have a spirit come. He has the devil come like an angel of light. Do you think he comes to you in the form or guise of something ugly and revolting and repulsive? No. He's going he's gonna to be pretty. He's going to be handsome. He's going to be attractive. He's going to be appealing. He's going to ring the bells of your flesh. I mean, look, haven't you noticed that the way we get ensnared, for instance, with addictions, 
is it's not because we do something that feels terrible, but we just decide to go do it again. No, it feels good. It appeals to our flesh. We're drawn in. And then the trap closes. So you're dealing with personality. So a discerning of spirits, you're not just discerning some Casper the friendly ghost floating around. But you're discerning, is this personality of God? Or is this personality coming at me to teach me, to influence me, to get me to follow it? Is it the Holy Spirit, who is a personality, goes without saying, God the Spirit? Or is this an evil spirit? I mean, how bad do we need discerning of spirits, I ask you? Because in the last days, many people who walk with Jesus will be drawn away to, to teachings of devils. And it, discerning of spirits is not the ability to criticize and find fault. You know, these people, they're always picking you apart. And you say, would you stop it? Why are you doing this? Because I've got discerning of spirits. It's really bad if you're married to somebody and they're always picking you apart. And then they tell you they got discerning of spirits. No, it's not. You're just being critical. See, when discerning of spirits is designed to, to save you from being wrecked by the devil. So, Paul in the book of Acts tells the story. The book of Acts tells the story. Dr. Luke tells us of Paul and Silas traveling down a street in Philippi one day. You know the story. And it says a certain slave girl possessed with an evil spirit of divination, which is fortune telling, met them. She was making her bosses rich from her ability to channel an evil spirit and tell them true things from an evil spirit. Do you hear me? She was channeling a demon spirit and telling them things about themselves that were true. And they were making money off this girl. Her bosses were. I mean, she had a business. She hung a shingle. It was out there. And Paul it says, Paul, well, first of all, she began to say things about Paul and Silas, and they were true things. These men are servants of the most high God. That's true. They proclaimed to us the way of salvation. That was true. But something was wrong. The right thing was being said by a wrong spirit. And notice, she was lifting the men up. Not Jesus. She never mentions Jesus, not one time, because the demon in her wouldn't let her. It wasn't about Jesus, it was about promoting and exalting men. And it says, Paul, being greatly annoyed, grieved in his spirit, wheeled around and said to her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And the girl was set free that very hour. And boy, did they get into trouble for casting that devil out. It ended up in the original and then being thrown in prison in the original jailhouse rock. Just from casting a devil out. But you notice the devil had a personality speaking through this girl, saying true things with a wrong spirit. That's discernment what Paul had. How many times do we hear things that are said that are true but if you keep listening, there's a little bit of falsehood amongst the truth. And the more you listen, the more you go, like Paul, something's wrong. Have you ever experienced this? Something's wrong. I don't know why I'm bugged listening to this person, but I'm bugged. 
Something's wrong. I'm grieved. Something's wrong. You're getting discernment. Discernment is a crucial gift, and we're closing now. Without it, the church travels blind down the highway of life, oblivious to the dangers in its path. We need discernment. Now, my opinion, my personal opinion, you can take it or leave it, is that today's church is in a discernment crisis. Many, many things are presenting themselves as being from God or the Spirit that aren't found anywhere in the Bible. Teachings that twist Scripture and don't reflect genuine New Testament Christianity.